<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, let me just adjust the lighting before I talk to uh, Lawrence and <clears throat> pour just the right wine. You know what I'm thinking, Travis? What? I'm going to need my big buttery Chardonnay. Wait, so you can butter up Lawrence O'Donnell? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay, and then we're having an after party that yes. Lawrence is going to stay for. Guess I mean, what's you've new? You've got a lot of people coming, so you had to do a big order from Cameron this time. Guess what's new? What? Lot 631, 2017 Willamette Valley Pinot Gris. Ask me how much. How much? $12 a bottle. Okay, Cameron, I'm having a bottle of that at the party because, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a warm summer day. That's a, that's a summer wine if I ever heard of one. Lot 647 Rosé from Oregon. Ask me how much. How much? $11. Okay, now i got choices. Okay. These are hard choices, Stephanie. Right at the top of the website, Cameron News, chwine.com slash Stephanie. Go look. Exceptional wine, extraordinary value, luxury wines for half the price. That's all you need to know. Uh, it, he goes to um, boutique wineries all over the world, keeps his sources secret, and you cut out the middleman. That's how he's able to pass all that savings directly to you. I'm telling you, 40 to 80%. What, than what you pay for the same wine at retail. It, it made me lose my shizzle the first time party. I heard about this. We should have a party every week if it's uh, that cheap. Right? Cameron Hughes Wine, all about what's inside the bottle. All of my friends are buying their wine this way. Jody Hamilton just texted me. She almost lost her shizzle over the new Pinot Gris. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. chwine.com slash Stephanie. Or text my name, Stephanie, to 511-511. Get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. Text Stephanie to 511-511. Or go right to chwine.com slash Stephanie. Oh, hi, Lawrence. Let's start this. No more foreplay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Stephanie. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yes, right there, Lawrence O'Donnell. Oh, my God. This is my normal weekend is just reading Lawrence O'Donnell, O'Donnell books naked. But Lawrence O'Donnell is here. <laughs> In your basement. In my basement. Good morning. I mean, good afternoon. Hello. It's, uh, Hi, Lawrence. It's afternoon on my watch. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's, um, I have two audio books out there. Do you? Oh, so no. you, you, That's too much you never me. have to uh, live without the sound of my voice <laughs> in the world. I don't. I don't. Um, and I there, barely and like do. that audio book for Playing With Fire, I think it's like two days long. I think it's like uh, 90 hours. I don't know what it is. That's good. That's my Labor uh, Day, my Labor Day 16 weekend. 16 hours, something like that. But yeah. I just did... Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, Deadly Force, which my um, the first book I ever wrote, we brought yeah. it back out in paperback, a new edition, updated, and that I did the audio book for that, yeah. and that is the that's a story about police use of deadly force, uh, actually over thirty five years ago. And your dad, yeah, and it was the first book uh, in that about that subject. 
But it centers on uh, Boston police killing a black man in Roxbury, shooting him in the back, back of the head, and the investigation of that, and the lawyers, and all. So, but it's a complete Boston story. Yeah. Everybody in the book, including the black people, yeah. have Boston accents. And so when I'm doing the audio book... <laughs> He says that as someone that parked his car literally yeah, at Harvard Yard. That's right. Yes. Went to Harvard. I, uh, I had to not only you know transition from American into the Boston accents when we got into dialogue, but you know, as I know, and I guess maybe no one else does, you know, Sergeant Hudson sounds wicked different from Sergeant Gagan, and I had to do each one of them to my ear as different guys. And, uh, and as a liberal, did you always have a hard time with wicked retarded? Uh, Were you always like, no? Nah. Uh, you know, that I heard that uh, more often than I heard the name of my street in, in Dodgesta <laughs> when I was growing up. Uh, everything was retarded. Everything. And it was like, was like, it'd be like a car was retarded. It was a fucking car. Jesus. You know, it was like, it wasn't even to human beings. You know, it was a fucking, that was a retarded fucking game last night. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking socks. Jesus. You know, and... Uh, so retarded was... That was like I, a whole sentence in Boston. Yeah, yeah, fucking socks, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, fucking okay. and retarded yeah. were words that, that, that could take any place they wanted in any sentence between any words, and yeah. everybody got it. Yeah. It made perfect sense. Yeah. And it was spelled different, and so it was a completely a, different word. Obviously, an Irish, a Catholic Irishman uh, that does not drink, a disgrace to your uh, race, if you don't mind my saying. I'm a scientific experiment. I prefer to think of it that way. <laughs> I thought at some point, science is going to need one. Like, someone's <laughs> going to be doing a study, and they go, hey... I mean, is there any Boston Irish guy, like, you know, who's like 30 or 40, you know, at different ages, you know, uh, who, who hasn't ever had a drink or been drunk? And I thought, ah, you know what, I'm going to, I could make 20 bucks on yeah. that study when yeah. the time comes. Yeah. I'm still waiting. Well, you already need to leave your brain to yeah. science because yeah. it's so big. Your brain is so big. What? This is the first podcast where my executive producer, Travis, has been like, oh, this is going to be so awkward. <laughs> Because? Travis, no, you know how much I love you. You know, I'm, I'm harmless. I'm a lesbian. You just make me not a very good one. Uh-huh. You question things about yourself. Listen, <laughs> I did it publicly because this is what I do. Right. I did say, and I had to Google it because I didn't know it existed because I did not masturbate. I, I believe I had enough. What? I had a what? nocturnal orgasm, and I just, all I'm saying is the last images I remember were you on your motorcycles throughout the years. You know, I'd like to say that's the first time I've heard that, but <laughs> but you were making a very feel, good point about Harley Davidson. Like For me, telling you know, yeah, center, no, we're, right? we're, we don't, yeah. Um, you know, you have this effect on me. <laughs> um, I know that you pretend I do. You're, I'm you're not a pretending. Very good actor. That's what's weird. I know that you pretend that I do. You and invited I me. I play along with it, uh, and that's our thing. It's, we're like the Laurel and Hardy Listen, of uh, the 21st me. century. Uh, radio sex play. <laughs> That's what we can We're a call filthy it. Noel Coward play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You invited me on your show during the Tom Brady thing to do an entire episode just so that you and I could say balls over and over. And you had me hold your uh, footballs. And I said, thank you, Florence, for letting me hold your balls. They. Yeah. But that I, was the entire, you, you know it. It was the entire point of the segment was just it, for you and I to say balls back and forth to each other it, for like four it, minutes. It wasn't. Number one, it was the most important story in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, how big were Tom Brady's balls and or right. how were big or small should yeah. they be? What is, yeah. the, what is the optimum or perfect or even legal size of, right. of Tom Brady's balls was the issue. And right. Right. the world was hanging on that. 
Yes. And I was doing the Just show. dangling. With, I would believe I was doing the show in L.A. Right. I? Yes. And you were in L.A. Yes. And and we thought, let's, you know, get the best guest we can For on this subject. Filthy, filthy because, horse segment. Because no one thinks football more than Stephanie. Miller. Right. Yes. And football so let's expert. get her in there. Right. And then I, it, I think it occurred to me, I think once in a while I have an idea. I think, I don't want to steal this from her. I think it was me. I don't think it was the staff. I said, you know what, go Go buy me a couple of footballs. You know, get, let's have them here. You know, because you rarely get to use props in, in my show. I and, was your uh, carrot top that night. Uh, and, yeah. But I, I held your balls. It didn't occur to me ahead of time uh, how many entendres were, were, were possible yeah. in, in that or even any. Actually. I feel like I softly cradled your balls in a really supportive way, you know, for that segment. The footballs, Thematically. The footballs that were on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you what do you mean? You. You. <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't know yeah. what it is. It's your intellect. It's your, it's your piercing blue eyes. It's your tenacity. It's your... Okay. You oh, know, are you, you still know, here? I, you know, I'm much more comfortable uh, with this when the microphone's not on, uh, as you may have noticed. Uh, that, uh, but I, I don't have, I do not have a public persona. Yeah. For responding to this. Yeah. Well, right. That's all right. And because I'm just the stiff anchorman. Yeah, right. and, and that's the, what makes it like, more fun for me. Oh, it is? Okay, good. It's like then, playing with a stiff cat toy. Right, right. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, where do I begin to tell the story of how great a love can be? Um, yeah, okay. I was born I in uh, Dorchester, Massachusetts. <laughs> It is a section of Boston. Uh, Marky Mark is from there. Yeah, sure. And I can't tell you what it was like for my niece when I was working at Warner Brothers on West Wing and Marky Mark was making Perfect Storm uh, on one of the other stages. And my niece, Maggie, was in the commissary with me and she saw Marky Mark and like, oh, my God. She was like Marky Mark walked by and she, she had trouble breathing for, for a while. Um, now he's esteemed actor Mark Wahlberg. Right. Yeah. Not an underwear model. Correct. Okay. Mocking Mark. <laughs> I don't. In I my neighborhood, he's, ma- he's still mocking Mark. Mocking Mark, yeah. yeah. See, are. I don't even know where to start with you. So I love somebody actually wrote a story about the party I just saw you at. West Wing cast has mini reunion at Martin Sheen's 78th birthday party. Don't ask me how I got invited to this because I, I don't How'd leave my basement. But I was like, oh, fuck, Al Pacino's in the kitchen. And this was after having to, you know, take in you being there and... <laughs> Jane way, Fonda, you, Lawrence Fishburne, and Charlie Sheen, and Emily Westervis, and you know, you know the whole, right? Well, you were the only one there who had to process me being there. You know, no, and, and no, no, because you know others why? were processing the Jane Fonda experience, you know, the Lawrence Fishburne experience, the Brad Whitford experience. No, you and I uh, shared the, the same experience. experience, and because you wrote and produced and won Emmys for most of the fucking West Wing episodes, can we just talk for a second about? Did I mention I don't leave my basement? So Martin Sheen does a speech after his birthday cake, yes. whereby he does a whole President Bartlett speech, right? Like a pep talk for America. Well, he does did a, a poem. poem. He did a poem. Right. That, that but then he mentions two was... people by name, you and me. Yeah. <laughs> from people. That, and I was like, I'm, I'm on a scene in this thing where I mentioned my name, just with Lawrence O'Donnell, about people that are... I don't well, know what the Fox he, Saving America just, something. Let me just clarify that he was acknowledging the heroes in the room right. uh, who were out there fighting the good fight sure. and saving America from uh, Trumpism mm-hmm. every day. And, I, you know, I, for one, felt he didn't say enough. about 
I thought about you. I thought he could have gone longer about me. About you in particular, yeah. I would have. Like, I would have. Uh, come on, I, I would have said, Martin, can I say a few yeah. words before? <laughs> no, I was. Um, I, I, I. That was. Uh, that was great. That and was, that's Martin. See that that is yeah. Martin. He is. He feels every word that he said, and he means every word. He thinks what you do is incredibly important. So yeah. there's one person, and he thinks. <laughs> He, he, um, hey, I think wait, got a podcast title. relationship work where I get shit from you and I give you nothing but adoration? Um, you know, but and, and he takes it very seriously. He takes yeah. very seriously what's happening yeah. now and he loves what you do. And, yeah. and so that. It, but you know what he, I think he meant is those of us in the fight every day. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. Lawrence, give us some tips. How do you fucking do it? Because I. It's. Look at this. Is that what your stack looks like? <laughs> like, and by the time you get to your show, you have to throw the whole fucking thing out, right? Like, it, it's just, it, it, it's a fire hose of bullshit every day, and lies, and corruption, and crimes, and treason. I don't, I don't know how you do it because you are like a, you're like a sphinx. Really, on yeah. TV, just with steely blue eyes. But I tell you what I'm thinking. Right? I yeah. make it very clear. This is what I think about X. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but you're saying I do it without any human feeling, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I'm trying to achieve. You're that's, a robo anchor. That's what I'm trying to get throughout life. Yeah, no I think some nights you'll just molt down into into like steel <laughs> yeah. and then reconstitute yourself. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the hardest. I mean, it's been very tricky. It's not. I. I it is in some ways an easier thing to do as a as an exercise doing that show every night it's conceptually easy because we know it's going to be all about the madness of trump today yeah uh with very rare exceptions that will go off into something else uh that happened in the world or in the country that's important that is not actually directly related to trump but you know these hours really have a very clear focus uh an intense focus and so uh, that makes it somewhat easier because about you know three years ago uh, we would have spent a considerable period of time about those kids in the cave wherever they were. Yeah, I have no idea where they were. Thailand. I did, I did, okay, great. Jesus, I didn't spend talk about one, no emotions. I didn't These spend a on second crisis. on it. Uh, we didn't. They're do fine. One, Who cares where they were? Not one minute of coverage on it. I don't know how many of them got out. I don't know how many were in. I don't know what happened. Right? They're all okay. Okay, good. <clears throat> that was I was I was hoping for. Uh, but, you know, three, happened in Boston, three years you know. ago, we would have had, you know, live hookups to Thailand yeah. every yeah. night. You know, yeah. we didn't do it. You all. could talk about Tom Brady's balls. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, that would be. I a, know. I was just thinking that was care. the good old days. There we is, could talk. We could do a segment. Nothing, there's not anything Tom Brady could do with his balls publicly that we yeah. would talk about on TV. Now. That's why I haven't been back on Lawrence, because there's no time for fluffy little bullshit yeah. segments with me. Brady would have. To He's got to save America. He'd have to throw one of his balls to Trump. And then, okay, now we now we got to rip it off and throw. Now okay. we got to say, so it has so. more focus that way. But uh, one of the, I one thing I do do is I I think about <clears throat> how to do this all the time, um, and so you know, like should we be how, how do we cover the speeches? How do we not cover the speeches? The Trump rallies. <clears throat> Tom Friedman came on the other night with this really interesting idea about, you know, the strongest witness against trump is always trump the reason people don't vote for trump is trump people see trump and they they are turned off 60 percent of the people and so show them more trump it'll turn them off more it'll help the democrats you know in november 
that's a really interesting theory, and I hate showing Trump. I hate showing even yeah. clips of Trump in the show. Like this, you know, the staff is always designing the segment, you know, and, and they... I, it I makes look, me want to pour hot coffee in my snatch. I, I look at their design of the segment first, and then I decide what I want to yeah. do. But, you know, they do the standard thing that cable news does, which is Trump said this today, and yeah. the press secretary said this today, and they, they have all the video lined up. This is all the video, you know, we should play in telling this story. And I just look yeah. and I go, nah, I don't want the Trump thing. Uh, yeah. I don't want the Sarah Sanders thing. I almost never yeah. run Sarah Sanders yeah. stuff. I, as I, just, I mentioned, I, I would, I mean, he make, his voice makes me want to uh, pour hot coffee in my snatch. Yeah. Do you, is there a, a you know, a, you know, a equivalent thing? Do you want to like hit yourself in the balls with a ball peen hammer or? I'm not like you. Okay. No. All right. There's no way you're going to get this around to me being like you. Okay. You can keep <laughs> trying. And it's just everything. The way he every... says people, people, <laughs> people, people. The way, the way, the way he breathes, mm-hmm. the way he moves his hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on all of that. But okay, then, go ahead. My response to it is a little more sane than yours. And well, you don't a, work in your basement. There's not a moment where that makes me think, "How can I harm myself now? Now that I've heard it, is there some hot thing that I can pour on myself and burn myself?" No, those thoughts don't go through my mind. No. Really, even when he says, "God bless," I know. God bless the United <laughs> States. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, you're that more of an expert than I'm. Day. Isn't that an impeachable offense to not even fucking be able to say it, say it right? You know, the really Shouldn't cool you be able to pronounce? God bless the United States. Shut the oh, fuck up, Donnie. Oh, Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Oh, boy. <laughs> so you asked, what's the point of doing a happy hour podcast when we have a regular show? This. I got it. This. I got it. Don't yeah. you want to swear a lot? <laughs> you can't, because you're like... This orange motherfucker. Well, he, you man. know the funny thing is, I mean, I I am uh, I I grew up wildly profane. I was like a profanity oh, exhibit in a museum. Like when I was four years old, because I had all these older brothers, right? Uh-huh. So by the time I was four years old, everything was fuck this, fuck that, you know. And and so they literally like twelve year olds would go, Lawrence, come here, come here, come here, and there'd be this you know kid who their cousin had just shown up, you know, from the other side of town and they listen to this fucking kid listen to him and i would <laughs> just stand kid. there and say every fucking word i could think of, you know oh, that i knew do we have dump you know? truck boy from uh, the george bush era oh there's nothing funnier to me and it, I, parents like they record shit and they send it in because we thought it was bad during the bush years right we didn't even yeah can you say george bush is a dump truck thank you brandon <laughs> Yeah, I was I was that kid, yeah. and and it was about everything all the time. And so then, um, but I, but I've always had this switch. It's like a switch, you know. Like in school, you couldn't say any of those words. Yeah. And so we just flip a switch, and th- none of those words came out. And and so that was the great training for me as a non-profane anchorman. Like it never right. those words don't come anywhere close, you know, uh, to my professional presentation of self publicly. Right. Um, but. Uh, so but in private, when you have a microphone in front of me, it's it's <laughs> wicked weird for me to uh, but say in private, any, any you, of that stuff. Do, I mean, I swear at the television. Do you when you're not on the television? I have never spoken to a television. <laughs> I'm not you. It's got a mean, coping mechanism. Who did we have on? Oh, uh, sexy liberal New York. We had Ellen Zweibel. That you know. Yes, the I know. Alan. Fantastic. He's great. You know, and he's like original. I'm an Emmy winning. I'm an Emmy winning writer. And I, I just sit at home all day and scream at the television. Fuck! 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 fuck that's fuck, amazing. <laughs> I can't imagine there Alan screaming. There should be just screaming. the Chiron. <laughs> wow, that's really bad. Alan, I can't imagine him screaming. He's just the nicest guy in the world. 
I know what you're thinking. What wine pairs with Lawrence O'Donnell? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> with a big side of liberal man meat. I'm going to recommend the Cameron Hughes Lot 594 uh, Chardonnay. Really? I would have thought a red wine would pair with that match. Well, listen, it's summer. If he comes back, I can switch it up for one of my beloved Pinot Noirs from uh, Cameron Hughes. But uh, this one opens with an inviting nose of apple, cream brulee, ginger, and lemon oil. Hello. I hear you open for Lawrence O'Donnell with an exciting (laughs) note of apple. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Yes, I do. Hello, Lot 594. Um, I'm telling you, award-winning wine's half the price. Do I need to say anything else? No. That's really all you need to say. Say order. Uh, I did not know anything about this until I, when I heard about Cameron Hughes. All of my friends now, every single one of them gets the wine this way because they are luxury wines, ultra-premium wines at half the price. Uh, it is insane. He goes to wineries all over the world. He brings uh, that direct to you, no middleman, and that's how he passes on all that savings. I'm talking about 40 to 80% off what you'd pay for the exact same wine uh, at retail, Right. Cameron Hughes Wine, all about what's inside the bottle. No fancy labels, no flashy website, just high-quality wine at prices anybody can afford. I, I don't, I, I've almost, I, I've made you scream like a girl when I've told you how much. Like, five ninety four. Ask me how much that is. $16. Ah! See? That, I, I know that's at least a $40 wine I'm tasting. It, it's insane. You will be blown away at the fantastic quality and the value. Go to do it now. chwine.com slash Stephanie. The best vintages sell out chwine.com slash Stephanie or text my name Stephanie to 511-511 and get free shipping with your minimum three bottle order. Text Stephanie to 511-511 and go right to chwine.com slash Stephanie. Back to Lawrence. So I don't know if people know. I'm sure they do. You're just, you're a little overwhelming. Uh, Okay, Emmy winning uh, writer, producer of the West Wing, obviously. But the other thing, uh, who was it that was saying to you at the party that's what's so fantastic about you is having been on you know the senate finance committee and been you know you were chair right there under clinton and you worked for moynihan and so you know the ins and outs of all of this bills the senate so they can't get away with bullshit with you it's kind of like uh it's kind of like cheating for an anchorman yes to actually have done the thing right right and and i gotta tell you it feels that way sometimes you know because i watch some of these stories come out and i watched them go on for hours and like no doesn't anyone realize x you know right and um and and so it's it's a huge advantage i mean it's a it's an even bigger advantage than i think you might think and it allows me to come into stories extremely late uh, as it were like i I, like my stack can be smaller than your stack because of all the work i was doing in the senate don't be a size queen (laughs) in the 1990s uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I just, um, it, it just saves me so much time in, yeah. in, in both comprehension and, uh, you know, uh, staying on top of stories, knowing the processes, especially knowing the things that are never going to happen. I mean, let me give you an example of an utterly idiotic thing that's happening right now that, that no one should talk about as real in any way, and that is <clears throat> the impeachment of Rod Rosenstein. Now, if you're sitting out there in the world and you go, there's some Republican House members who want to impeach Rod Rosenstein, and you know, because you paid attention in high school, that the impeachment process begins in the House, you go, whoa, Rod Rosenstein's in trouble. Well, you know, the second that story emerges, I know there will never be even an impeachment hearing on this thing. Judiciary Committee will never take it up. 
House will never vote on it. Senate will never vote on it. You know, the whole thing. Yeah. And so, and, but I do understand completely how people hear that and they start to do stories, as cable news did all day, uh, and print does, and they never say, it's absolutely impossible, it can never happen. They, they you know, they, they let you think, wow, look what's happening now. This is an outrage. And the only thing that's an outrage, and in Washington outrages these days, this is a pretty small one, is that they are using the word impeachment and the concept of impeachment as nothing but a stunt. And they know it's a stunt. And they know they'll never even get a hearing on it from their own party in, yeah. the, in, the, in the committee that their party controls. But, but procedurally, if you know what's involved procedurally, you know, and House rules and Senate rules and all this, it's never nothing, never yeah. nothing, right? So, so that's so the amount of time I spend thinking about that is like this big, you know. Yeah. And that's, but if I didn't have that, you know, congressional experience, I wouldn't know what the hell to make. Of but that you, story. all right, you maybe want to jump ahead, but go ahead. People obviously want to know. Wait a minute. Where you, you mean you, there's mm. a, you have a like a plan for this? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, geez. I know. I said I, to Travis, I, I'm like, don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm like, it's surprising you had to give me show prep because I'm yeah. kind of a creepy stalker fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I know. That. I want yeah, you. I, know to, that. I want Stephanie. I want you to think of this as chapter one of my visits to the podcast. Wow. Okay? Oh God, that's and too much. Could, that's too much. This, okay, this, I'm going to have could, a, a daytime uh, orgasm for the first time. Don't. This could turn into Moby Dick. This could be what? It Best could, of times. It could the, turn into more chapters times. than you can read. You know what's it weird? Moby's into, coming to the party later, not Moby Dick. It could turn into, you can't get rid of me. He, it's Sunday, or you know, he's here again to do another podcast. Lawrence is going to call you up and say, I've got something I want to get off my chest. I'm yeah, coming exactly. over. Uh, right. And you know, we're all for that. Okay. Anytime, sir. I have something regarding my chest I want to talk to Lawrence about. Let's not. Listen, do Lawrence. Do I get. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a plan. Listen, he wouldn't follow me. Do you want to smash your dick with a ball-peen hammer when Donald Trump talks? He didn't follow me on that. But listen, here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to know. Um, you said the other day, because in terms of, because you've already started talking about impeachment of Rosenstein and where is this going. And this is what everybody wants to know, right? Everyone's asked you, I'm sure, every day. He tweeted, this is, now as we're taping this, he's already had eight more of these tweets. But he tweeted, this is a terrible situation. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has stopped this rigged witch hunt right now before he continues to stay in our country. Blah, 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 blah. You know, the same bullshit. But you said it's a historic day in the 229-year history of the presidency because today we did really arrive at the Fifth Avenue moment where he shoots someone on Fifth Avenue. Because you said, is this it? Is this the tweet before he fires fill in the blank and starts our constitutional crisis? Or are we already in it? Like, what? And now he's had... Even this morning, as we're taping this, he's had several more of these. Mm-hmm. So where do you think we're already? I know it's hard to well, I Well, that's why I put a question mark on it. I don't know. I mean, he did a tweet the other day that if in the next hour he fired Jeff Sessions and Rosenstein and Mueller, it would make perfectly logical sense after that tweet. That makes yeah. sense as the next action. The, you know, the Saturday night massacre uh, come to the 21st century. And, uh, and so, but we don't know. So we, we see that tweet. It might just be the idiot is tweeting meaninglessly again because most of his tweets are meaningless and hateful and stupid, but meaningless. They begin meaningless. They end meaningless. Uh, yeah. the, you don't know. Surely when he does, if he does, fire 
Sessions, Rosenstein, <clears throat> Mueller. He is going to do a tweet like that right before it. He is. And and so that's why I asked, is this the one? And yeah. and maybe it isn't. And maybe 30 days from now, there's a tweet just like that, and they're fired after that. I don't know. I have no predictive capacity for what's going to happen with the investigation uh, or what Trump's going to do in relation to the investigation, uh, you know, in terms of firing people. And uh, I have no idea what he what he is capable of in that direction and what's going to happen next in that direction. Um, yeah. I hope that saves well, us a lot of questions about what's going yes. to happen next. Yes. <laughs> well, do you no, think it's it's, not it's, ha- nothing can no. happen next? And it does. Like, it's like, no, he can't do that. Yeah, sure. So I don't know. I, I'm not, I, listen, I didn't say he can't do anything. Right? <laughs> so, so I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I'm sure, you know, you saw the same piece in the Washington Post we did that we talked about that, you know, they said it's time for Mueller to subpoena him. He's clearly never going to sit down voluntarily. Uh, and I mean, I just and then it sounds like historically we would win that fight, wouldn't we? Yeah. 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 But, you know, it's a tricky Supreme Court. now, So, you know, yeah, you might you might not. I used to think a year ago I would have said, oh, yeah, you'll absolutely win it. And now I, I'm not so sure. But you, there's also a theory that <clears throat> Mueller does not, both does not need to subpoena him and should not subpoena him if he won't do an interview uh, because Justice Department practice generally is they do not subpoena someone who is a target. Trump is clearly a target at this point. He's clearly yeah, a yeah. target. And Giuliani is saying <clears throat> he is a target. Giuliani says he's a target for obstruction of justice, so we don't want to answer any questions about yeah. that. So, so you don't put those guys... Uh, when they're targets in in front of the grand jury, uh, because at that point, uh, <clears throat> number one, all right. they all they do is take the Fifth Amendment. But there's all there's all, it's also considered sometimes a kind of uh, jurisprudentially a prejudicial move that you tried to force him to testify against himself when you knew that he was a target. So they don't they don't ask targets to testify against themselves. He, I, that's what I've said, Lawrence. He, he, I'm sure, has turned from a subject to a target, hasn't he? He has to. I yeah. don't see how he can. Yeah. I mean, what, what, do you, what is it that you want to ask him? They, they've said we want to ask him about his conversation with Comey uh, about dropping the Flynn investigation. Really? Why do you want to ask him about that? Your job is to investigate crimes. Why would you ask him about that? Because it looks like there might be a crime in that conversation called obstruction of justice. And it ain't Comey committing the obstruction of justice. It's so ridiculous. It's like, you can ask me about that, but not that. It's great. Um, The only reason we play Rudy soundbites is just so we can hear him say, it's sculpatory. (laughs) (laughs) He recorded it (laughs) surreptitiously, and it's it's sculpatory. Um, What is it? fuck has happened to Rudy Giuliani? He is just a I think cartoon. Nothing. I think nothing. I've never had a day of my life of admiring Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Never. And I, I said him. the same thing. I lived in New York during 9-11. I'm like, he's the one that put the command center after right. World Trade has already been attacked. This is why police and firemen couldn't talk to him. Yes. How did he become the hero Rudy of Giuliani 9-11? Rudy Giuliani lost lives on 9-11 because of his decisions pre-9-11 yeah. about how to deal with things like this and that was well testified to in the 9-11 commission and it's all there but <clears throat> Rudy Giuliani as U.S. attorney was an embarrassment uh, in New York uh, and and just the most ridiculous uh, camera hungry U.S. attorney we'd ever had he would go out there on the streets with Al D'Amato who was then the Republican senator the junior senator they would dress up in undercover clothes which meant sunglasses uh, with their neckties, 
And they'd go out with, you know, DEA and FBI and try to catch the drug dealers. And oddly enough, <clears throat> New York Post photographers would be there uh, when they were doing this. And, and both of them, you know, uh, D'Amato and Giuliani were trying to get political profit from this. He, he was a cartoon character yeah. then. Yeah. He has never not been uh, a, a, a kind of uh, a, someone you could just completely ridicule based on the definition of the job he's supposed to do. Yeah. Including um, as mayor. He did a terrible job as mayor. And, and he was the most unpopular mayor that New York City had seen in a very yeah. long time on 910. Same kind of racism. On 910, his, he was, New York couldn't wait to get rid of him. Same kind of racism, right? The whole, like, yes. you know, Giuliani he's time always, when they're beating up black he's people. He's always trafficked. And, yeah, yeah. I, I was personally offended. He got all the porn movies out of Times Square, which I walked through every day on my way back. So for me, you know, so Rudy Giuliani has never been a real lawyer. You know, yeah. that he was a, he was the U.S. attorney. The guys doing the trials were the assistant U.S. attorneys. He's never really worked as a real lawyer in a real courtrooms, uh, and so he's always been a fraud to me. I never fell for a bit of the imagery. I love that he took this on and finally just got exposed for what he's always been. I wish I could tell you that there's some observable mental decline in Rudy Giuliani. There isn't. It's the same, yeah. Um, you gave a lot of people nocturnal orgasms last night when you were on Bill Maher. Um, oh, that was last night? Yeah. Oh, well, as so we're people, taping this. People and might you, figure out when we're doing this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. Um, but you talked, about, yeah. you talked about uh, him. <laughs> Bill was talking about him not leaving the White House. Yeah. And you said, oh, no, the Secret Service will take care of that. Yeah. They will physically remove him. Well, you know, what I find <laughs> really sad about that is that, is that reasonable people in America, uh, well-educated people, are wondering, if Trump loses the election, will he leave the White House or will he just seize the presidency? Sure. Right. Now, that is impossible. It is impossible for him to seize the presidency. And the thing that people are fearing is impossible. And I, and it, it's, it's so impossible that it isn't even easy to describe how impossible it is. Yeah. But we're living in a country where, where people are worried about that. And I thought overnight uh, about what bill said because i always do after uh, after i appear you on tv it i go home head. and i think about it all, right? <laughs> no but i did and I, and I just thought oh okay now i obsess now, about you on tv too now i understand a little even a little bit more about the intensity of my audience our msnbc audiences uh, attention to what we're doing yeah because fears like that exist you know yeah. i mean people are at home with fears sure. like that so they really want to know uh, what is the latest thing, you know, with Michael Cohen's audio recordings, and will they take down this guy who we suspect might not leave the White House if he loses an election? Believe me, he's gonna. I think he's gonna leave the White House. At like, I think he's gonna leave. He's gonna go to a, like a Trump resort. Yes. Like the day after the election when he loses, and never come back to the okay. White House. Like never come back to it. I don't he think won't he's gonna go, be there. He that won't long. go to the inauguration. I don't and think he's going to be there. By the way, you don't need him at the inauguration. When I can't matter. cling to you, I cling to Malcolm Nance. Okay. Physically. <laughs> Tell me they're not going to get away with this. <laughs> but I also, I don't, I, I honestly don't think he's going to make this term. I really don't. I really think this, I think what Mueller is going to come out with, even everything we know already, I feel like, and you know him. 
He's going to go, oh, what a minute, America great, and, you know, fake news and stupid media. And he'll quit, I, I think. I mean, I could be wrong. I just... Oh, I think, I think he could. I, look, there's two extraordinary things that we've seen uh, in, in my lifetime. Uh, and that is an, an incumbent president at the peak of his powers politically deciding not to run for re-election. We saw that in 1968. Uh, with Lyndon Johnson, a story told There's a good book about that. It's yeah, called it's Playing with Fire. Fire by Lawrence. By Lawrence. Um, and, and so we saw Lyndon Johnson decide, I'm quitting. I'm not even going to run for election. The, the guy who then becomes president after him. That's because of my dad. Yeah. The guy who becomes president after him then quits the presidency itself, right? Yeah. Those two things, back-to-back presidencies, we'd never seen it before, and... Donald Trump is capable of both. Yep. You know, he's capable yep. of mm-hmm. both of them. But just, I keep saying, Lawrence, you know, just from my little perspective, you know, that there's no Goldwater. My dad's running mate. Like, there right. was the one that That's went right. to Nixon and said, it's time to go. Because we've never seen not just the Oval Office co-opted by a hostile foreign power, but another party. Right. Like, we're... You know, with the Nunes tape, whatever it is, we're like, oh, holy shit. Boy, like I, Carl I, Bernstein said, this is worse than Watergate because of that. It's the thing I'm surprised about the most. When I was watching Trump running for president and thinking about it, like he would say things like, yeah, I'll raise tariffs on China. And I would sit there and say, like, and crazy. I'd say, well, of course, that's <laughs> impossible. The president doesn't have the power to raise tariffs. Only Congress can do that. It's just like taxes. Because there's this little clause in there that has never been used before that says, you know, the president can do it for national security. That's only been there for a few decades. He can raise tariffs for national security reasons. Now, none of these tariffs that he's done are for national security reasons, so they're all illegal. But um, I used to run the Senate Finance Committee. I was the staff director of the Senate Finance Committee. That has jurisdiction over tariffs. Ways and Means Committee has jurisdiction over tariffs, taxation, all that stuff in the House of Representatives. We used to. Uh, hold that jurisdiction as the most important thing in the world. No one could violate it. No president, no one. So, you know, presidents would come to us and beg, beg to change the tax code. That's the way the dynamic worked. So when I saw Trump saying that and saying that he'd do all these things, I knew the Republican Party is opposed to everything he was saying about tariffs. Right. So they won't allow him to do that, I believed, during the presidential campaign because I wildly overestimated the fundamental humanity of, you know, people like Mitch McConnell and Grassley and, uh, you know, and, and Paul Ryan. And by humanity, humanity, I do not mean something noble. I mean this incredibly jealous and zealous way in which men of power cling to protect and exercise their power. Yeah. And the idea <clears throat> that there could be a chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, where I used to work, with jurisdiction over, over tariffs, who just sits there and does nothing, nothing when an out-of-control president arbitrarily raises tariffs on Canada. Uh, the, the chairman doesn't say a word. I never could have predicted to you that that, that would happen. I, I, I thought they um, had more in them than that. Yeah. Well, I... <sighs> Listen, I, I I don't even know where to go. Like, you know, one of the things we do know about is this horrible accident that you had that um, mm-hmm. I wanted to come and take care of you every day. I, needed, I was so I worried about so you. I much help. 
I'd be your her candy bedtime manner is really good. I needed so much help. Like, I mean that in a slutty way and in a really nice way. Like, I would have done really... I, I had to have 24-hour nursing. I know. And at, at my home. I know. And for two months. And I... Because I, I couldn't... You know, I needed everything. I, I couldn't. I was so worried about... I really was, and as we all were. And this was really a horrific thing that happened to you. But, you know, you actually talked about... I was reading interviews. You said... Right after it, I couldn't hear any negative news. I consumed about 39 seconds of, you know, you were talking about some horrible story. Turn it off. I didn't want to consume all the ugliness. Um, and, you know, this is what people ask. I'm sure people like you and I now, like, you've got to tune this out. Psychologists say, but we can't. Like, right. you can't now. You can't tune it out. But you went through a period where, you know, you literally went through a life or death thing, right? Yeah. And so what I discovered was the body and the mind do these remarkable things that, 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 that nature has, has given us the ability to do long before pharmaceuticals came along. I mean, you know, I broke my, I, I've, I used to say I broke my hip and a doctor corrected me on it recently and said, no, you broke your pelvis. It was much worse than a broken hip. And we couldn't, we had to do this, this, and this before we could even deal with your hip. And so it was a really bad thing. And there are people who die from it, which I didn't know until long after the fact. Yeah. I just thought it was a broken bone and people don't die from that. But it was, it was really, it was much worse than I thought. Uh, it was, it's, an, it's an indescribable pain and I had to be driven, you know, in, a, in, a, in an ambulance and a bumpy road and every bump was really viciously painful. And, but... But instantly, the, the, and psychologically, the nature was, was putting me in a cocoon. And it was a cocoon that was going to help with the pain. It was going to shut out everything around me. Time passed very differently. I had to be medevaced uh, off an island uh, to Which New MSNBC York. did. I yeah, heard. they did. Yeah. They were great. Yeah. They, they, they sent a plane for me, uh, and they sent another plane for my brother, who does not work for MSNBC. Uh, to fly him to Boston, where he had to get surgery. Uh, but it was eight hours, you know, and the plane had to stop, and I, I was locked in a position where I could not move, and if I moved a muscle, it would hurt. And that eight hours went by, like, faster than any, you know, New York to Boston flight I've ever taken, because the mind was was taking care of me. It was making all these adjustments. But, it, but in order to do that, it had to shut out everything. It had to shut out every single thing that was around me. And so that cocoon, which was a, I gotta say, a really beautiful place to live, uh, was the place I lived in for a couple of months. Yeah. And as soon as I poisoned it, literally like poisoned it as I did in the hospital when I turned on the TV news for, I, I couldn't get through an actual minute of it. It yeah. was like, I can't have it. Yeah. Um, but you know, th that's, that is, a, a, what I took to be when I discovered it to be this kind of really beautiful, uh, pure state. Uh, we don't live in that day to day. And I was, you, I was eventually kind of corrupted back into, well, how we do you, I was going to ask you Lawrence, cause this is important. How do you do it now? I've well, lost, now, I've lost one friend well, now, to a drug overdose that was, I, I think people that are struggling with anything mentally, emotionally substance that this is a horrible period to live through of, of hatefulness and it, it, divicity and meanness. How, how do you do it now and how do you advise people? Because you and I don't have the luxury of going, oh, just turn off the news and don't be involved in this. Well, I'm, I'm never going to know if what I'm about to theorize is true because we can't rerun this experiment. But 
I am now like those emergency room physicians who uh, saved my life and, and stopped my bleeding and, and put me in a spot where I was able to do medevac and all that stuff. Those, those guys, when, they, when I came rolling into that emergency room near death, which I didn't know I was near, uh, they knew, they, they, their emotions didn't change from before they even knew I was coming. You know, they just right. went to work. This is their job. They, okay, here's another one. Here we go. Here's, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this, this, and this. We're going to do this. And then we can stabilize him this way. And if we just turn his body like this and strap it down so it never moves again, uh, we might be able to get him all the way to surgery, and it'll, it'll work. They were just completely professional and solid. So I feel I have felt since the day after the election that I am like an emergency room doctor who has this job to do. And if you think about what emergency room doctors experience in the course of a month, uh, they will have, you know, babies die in their hands. They will, they will have yeah. gunshot victims come in who they can't save. They will save lives. They will personally experience that miracle of saving lives. They will fix uh, a little boy's stubbed toe. They will do this amazing range of work, and they will do it all in exactly the same mode. The little boy's stubbed toe is the same yeah. as the gunshot wound. Lawrence, do and they're, they, they don't, in other words, they're not experiencing the room the way the rest of us are. So I am not experiencing Trumpism the way I think I would be if I didn't have this job. And I'd, I'd, I'd be one of two things if I didn't have the job. I'd completely shut it out, consume zero of it. I think that's my most likely choice. Or I'd be just kind of one of these kind of people at the dinner table who can't talk about anything else. But is this worse? You're, you have an amazing perspective, having written this book, Playing with Fire, the 1968 Election Transformation of American Politics. Is this worse, what we're going through? And are we going to survive this? No, it's not. Because I didn't go to a military funeral last week. And in 1968... 16,800 families in America went to military funerals. Uh, that's when I went to my first. Uh, we, were, we lost uh, more people in Vietnam, more soldiers in Vietnam in 1968 than the entirety of what we have lost in the 21st century in Afghanistan and Iraq and yeah. our other adventures. In fact, we, we lost, in, in the 21st century, we have lost half the number that we lost in 1968 alone. It was bad in a way that becomes hard to convey now. And I've tried to convey it to people who are 25 years old, and they listen to it, and they say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but this is our Vietnam. And they're right. And they, can't, they can never have that experience yeah. of watching their boyfriends go off to die in Vietnam, or their brothers, or their uncles, or their cousins. Um, but they have this experience. And this experience is the darkest that they've ever had and probably will be the darkest that they yeah. ever have. Yeah. But I can say that, you know, if you were in high school during the Vietnam War as I was, uh, nothing, nothing has been as dark as that. The George, nothing that George W. Bush did was as bad as what Lyndon yeah. Johnson and Richard Nixon did. Um, okay. Uh, I have to say... <laughs> I could go on. This and on. is no, I know. I it's, but it's not just, you know, that I love your 
work and your politics and your whatever. But A, first of all, where do you come by your humility? Because even on Bill Maher last night, you were extolling Rachel Maddow. Oh. And whenever I ask you to do something, you're like, I'm desperately available. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> well, you know. But you, you know, and you do, you know, you get kids for deaths, you know, deaths for kids in Malawi. And, you know, I mean, you obviously have a heart that is incredibly giving it's not just you know what 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 you talk about on the air you know that just seems uh, perfectly normal to me uh growing up uh, in the 60s and in and in, in what became the era of the dawning of awareness you know of all these kinds of ways of looking at the world dawning and, of the age of aquarius and that too mm -hmm. but you know you learn humility in little league you know you stand in that batter's box for the first time and those three strikes go right by and, and that's it you know right away okay so there's all these people who are better than I am at this, you know, and you learn it in school, you know, these students are better than I, I, I am. Um, it, I didn't learn that in every school, but I, I certainly, um, you know, and, you know, and so I, the, when I worked in the Senate, you know, I wasn't the, the smartest guy working in the Senate. I knew who they were, and I leaned on them all day. But, you know, <laughs> to be... The, uh, what I am is... He's full of shit, you guys. He was I the am, smartest guy in the Senate. Okay, go ahead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, what I, I, I'm the smartest guy who worked in the Senate who's on TV because mm, there's uh -huh. only one. All right. right? <laughs> like, that's, that, that's that guy. But, you know, what I hear myself talking about things about the Senate sometimes, and I just think, oh, my God, I wish Bill Douster was here. I wish the Senate parliamentarian was here. I wish these people who know much more than I do. Yeah. Uh, and, and, so, and that's true in every subject. And, you know, I remember when I... The first week of college, you know, you get this... I got this course book. It, like, here are all the courses we have here. And I look at this book, and I discover languages that I did not know existed. I saw the word Urdu for the first time in my life in the course book. And I'm looking at that, and I realize, ah, so I see what this is. It is pick your little corner of this. That's all you're going to get. There's 6,000 of these. You're going to take you know, a couple of you know, 16, 20 of them or something like that. Uh, and then you're going to leave here, having taken a maximum of 20, 24 of these things. And you're going to leave here in undying awe of the giant size of the mountain that is your ignorance that all the rest of the pages of that course mm -hmm. book describe. You said something really important. You spoke at a church, as a good Catholic boy would. You said, I stand, accused, uh, I stand before you this morning as an accused enemy of the people. This is a week where people like me have a sickening feeling. You were talking about the, the reporters getting shot. Um, and you said the only way to prevail against evil is to recognize it exists and not to let it take control. You said the truth of that is that the First Amendment is still intact. It's still alive and well. The news media is not the enemy of the people. The truth of it is the American news media is at their very best uh, and when they're soldiers of the truth that no president can control. And that is what you're doing. I mean, you are, you and Rachel, like, you know, you, I mean, she is fantastic too, but you guys are both like the heart of the resistance, man. I mean, it, it's you, you inspire and give the rest of us hope when we get hopeless. Well, there's, and Rachel would be the first to say this, there's a lot of the, a lot of the work that I was describing in, in those comments is being done by reporters at the New York Times, the Washington Post, who are not, you know, on TV all the time, who are doing the real digging, and Rachel and I are frequently breaking, using that as breaking news at yeah. 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. tonight. It's the work of others. We are both benefiting by the work of others uh, much more than our own original work uh, every night. 
but it's, it feels like it feels to me a little bit like this is where we have the meeting. You know, the meeting starts at nine o'clock. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and and Rachel is going to bring you into the tonight's meeting about where we are. And but, it, and it's um, but you, you show know, us how to fight. You've talked about this. You said I'm not a liberal. That's who's so afraid of the word that I have to change my name to progressive. Liberals amuse me. I'm a socialist. I mean, who cares what you fucking call it? You are and have always been such a fighter, and I love Obama. That's but just we need a, to, we need to have Dodgers fighters. Thing. Believe me, you want less of that uh, in the oh, world. No, no. That's we just a Dodgester pump, pump we don't, thing. We, you know, that's we don't have we to up. lie and cheat and steal like they do, but we need fighters like you, and that's why you inspire so many people and give so many people nocturnal orgasms, I'm sure. I'm sure I cannot be the only one. Am I right? Ladies and Oh, God. Who's listening? Right there, Lawrence O'Donnell. Ooh, right. You know, I, yeah. I, I do it alone in a room. and so I know you do. So I never hear so do I. sound. I never hear the applause <laughs> thing. You know, it's just me and a camera guy. Listen to me That's very it. carefully. Yeah. There's a reason. All the you guys, the West Wing cast is so amazing. You all show up for each other all the time. Uh, all of those people were at your book party love for it. this fantastic book. Everybody was at Martin's birthday party. Like, you guys... Years and years and years later, because you all actually walk the talk, and you actually, that wasn't, it's not just that we all fantasize, like, oh, that's what a White House could be. It's that you all show up for each other, and you all, and you show up for us every night, and it, and it really is, um, Lauren, so powerful. I remember I ran into you, you probably don't remember, a million years ago at Ariana Huffington's house, and you had just started filling in. I was like, Oh my God, you're so fucking great. You're going to get your own show. And you said, Oh, no, 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 no. I suck at this and blah, blah, blah. Whatever you usually say with your fake humility bullshit. <laughs> yeah, a minute but, ago it was, How do you, how are you so? How do you do it? Now it's fake. So now I, I fake it, is how I do it. I fake but the you're, humility. Just, listen, just in great, embrace it. You are a great American. You are a great human. You just are. And you, I, you know, so it's, I, listen, I, Travis. I'm not faking it. No, I know you're not. He makes me totally a bad lesbian. It's not a shtick we have. Well, it might be for you. Sadly, well, for you me, it that, is I not, mean, Lawrence. Kinsey said that there's a spectrum, right? That's right. And, and, it, and mine? said very few are at one end or the other. Mine? And I haven't had the last yeah. word on mine. Yeah. Hers is on the left. Her end is on the left. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's go up to the party. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I've, I've told everyone that we're just here, so there's people are coming. They, are they there now? Yes. I like people go upstairs. Yes. So they just walked in your house. People are all like, "Oh my God, Lawrence O'Donnell's here." They just walked into your house. She leaves the doors open. Coyotes. Oh my god. That's how I roll. Deer could walk in. Who knows? Oh um, he has. He's written a million books. He has the biggest brain and presumably other things on the planet. He has uh, wildly successful. I, I don't have my show shoes as on. an anchor man. You, you can check my feet. Last word, Lawrence O'Donnell. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you still here? I love I'm, you, Lawrence O'Donnell. I'm here. I love uh, you. And I'm happy to return. Now I know where you live. Okay, this is going to get weird. And he knows that he can Shit's walk in the house anytime, too. Shit's going to get weird up in here. Happy, happy hour. Lawrence O'Donnell, everybody.